Hello and welcome to Radio SGN. This is my voice. I'm Lindsay. I am a staff writer with the SGN. I also do some social media stuff. And joining me is Benny Loy, and I am the acting editor of SGN. My pronouns are she, her, and I use she, they. We're going to have a good time. So thank you for tuning in to the Pacific Northwest's number one gay news podcast based out of Seattle. Yeah, that's that's a fact. (laughs) It is. We bring you nothing but the truth here. Yeah. And Wikipedia has just been updated as we speak, and it was not me. So speaking of news, LGBTQ news, and I don't know why I'm delivering this so like enthusiastically because this is bad. Our hometown, me and Benny's hometown of Spokane, is back in the gang news because it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So Spokane has been having a lot of vandalism, specifically anti-LGBTQ vandalism occurring in the last weeks. Recently, there was a new rainbow sidewalk put in. The city, uh, right outside River from Park, and it has repeatedly had white paint just like spilled all over it. Police still say they have no leads in who these vandals are, which I don't know. Do they own a mirror? Anyways, there's also an LGBTQ youth center that's been vandalized three times in less than a week. The spokesman review just reported on that. Uh, we're going to have more from the SGN about that coming next week, but it's not great. This youth center is called the Odyssey Youth Movement. It's in the South Prairie District, and it's had just slurs and hate speech spray painted all over it. Yeah, I'm really familiar with Perry Street. I spent a lot of time there, and I actually, when I was 19 and was like freshly living out on my own as an adult, I uh, actually attended Odyssey Youth Movement. It's a fantastic resource for young people. It really helped me get on my feet after moving out of my household, starting my adult life. So it's re- it's really saddening to hear that it's it's having these kind of attacks and it's probably making people feel safe because for me, when I was in Spokane, Odyssey was a place that made me feel safe when I was struggling to start my life. So yeah, that sucks. Perry Street, though, is, is awesome, though. Other than the oh, vandalism, yeah. it's great. If you find yourself there. Very beautiful. Got some great little shops. Yes. But that's also kind of the unfortunate thing is that seeing that this vandalism is happening in some of the more liberal pockets of Bokan, you know, I was going to say seeing slurs on the sides of buildings spray painted is not uncommon in Spokane. My elementary school got tagged where um, somebody spray painted that a recess aide that was very unpopular was gay on the side of the building. We thought it was funny back then. Not really that funny now. It's a little funny about where does an elementary schooler get spray paint? That is still interesting to me. But yeah, this is just, it's like, I don't know. After hearing about this, I talked to my mom who lives in Spokane and I was like, I just feel like I feel so much better about leaving hear a story about this. And it feels like it's every month there's something new coming out of Eastern Washington, either it's homophobic preachers that are calling for the murder of gay people or it's them just defacing any small unity olive branch that the community might give. And, you know, it makes me really sad for young queer people. Maybe there's some listening to this podcast right now that are living over there because they don't have the same ability to just get out like we did. It's a lot. It's a lot to take. And I think that things are getting worse. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I can't can't imagine being in high school or middle school, being queer and living in Spokane and just like that hopelessness of will you get out of there? Yeah. It is so rough. Like I I was so happy to finally be out of there when I when I got out of there. Kudos to any of our listeners in Spokane, you know, for surviving out there because it can be hard. It was a huge eye opener for me when I moved to Western Washington and all of a sudden, like I wasn't afraid of getting yelled at or having people scream at me in public because I'm, you know, with my fiance. It's a nice change over here. So everyone who's over in Spokane, like, you know, whatever you're doing to survive, take advantage of resources like Odyssey Youth Center or Youth Movement. And our paper's coming to Spokane. So check us out. Hopefully that will help to, like, give you that sense of community there. Yeah. Another thing that I think it's really important to note when it comes to Spokane politics is that it's very influenced by Idaho. It is. Idaho's legislature introduced the Fairness Women's Sports Act in 2020, and that has banned transgender athletes from competing in women's sports in the state. And a lot of that ideology really crosses over the state border 
Idaho's not that far for people that aren't from Spokane. It's maybe a 20-minute drive or less. And yeah, those politics creep on over into Spokane a lot. They don't really creep. They more more of Blair across yes, the border. Yeah. Like. <laughs> we don't talk about other states quite as often as we talk about Washington because this is a Washington-based newspaper and podcast. But the fact is we all have neighboring conservative states and what they do over there matters and it impacts the lives of living in our states. Like it was a big deal when Idaho banned abortion in their state because even though it's maybe not affecting us directly, there are people that are still coming over here for those services. And the same goes with when they pass laws or even, um, you know, vote on laws that impact the queer and trans communities. It's not just impacting Idaho's queer and trans communities, but it's also impacting Eastern Washington. And, you know, these are people that are a part of our state. And it's really sad. If you're a bigot, go to Idaho. You don't belong here. Yeah. Put your money where your mouth is. I, I've heard a ton of conservatives in Spokane say like, oh, I just got to move to Idaho. Like they're doing everything right. Like blah, 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 blah. <laughs> go move over there then. Like <laughs> go find out what it's really like instead Jeez. of trying to change it here. Yeah. So stay safe out there. What do you call it? Call them Spokanites? Spokies? Spokies. <laughs> Have you heard the term Spokie? I learned that in college. No, I haven't. It's what out-of-towners, specifically like college kids from California, call residents of Spokane, like born and raised, but specifically like the crackheads. They would be like, they would be like, yeah, I was in downtown and this spooky came up to me. And I didn't oh. that until I was like in college, like eight. Oh, no. I was like, what? And there, I had this class and the professor was like, yeah, what are some stereotypes you guys have about Spokane? And all these like California kids were like, it's dangerous. And I was like, what? I mean, kind of. It's gotten worse over the years, so. I yeah, mean, but I guess you just don't realize that when you grow up. There. Yeah. When you spend so much time there, you get so used to it that, like, when I was living in Spokane, it was a daily occurrence for me to, like, see someone just cracked out of their mind in the middle of the street. You know, I almost got mugged and I got approached a couple of times on Sprague, even though I don't look like a Sprague walker, so... <laughs> You just get so used to it and then you move over here and you're just like, I mean, there's still some of the same issues over here, but it, it feels a lot less deranged. I don't know. But there's something about Seattle, like at least Seattle's a big city, you know, so yeah. take the bad with the good. You've got, yeah, you've got the crackheads. You've got some dangerous elements to living in the city, but you also have a zoo. Yeah. Aquarium. Nice shopping centers. Anyways, before... We uh, get into this week's interview, wanted to discuss some of our favorite spooky movies because mm. we're going to talk about this a lot later in the podcast, but our social media manager, Cameron, spent a lot of time working on a Halloween movie picks of 2023. So check that out on Instagram if you haven't seen it yet. Cameron got together a collection of queer-coded movies as well as new movies, childhood classics for people of all generations. And then the post ends on Cameron's favorite movie picks. And my favorite movie picks. And honestly, I think I need to revise my movie picks because I've I've been thinking about it. I'm like, there are different things I would have put on this list if I had spent a little more time thinking. We also didn't get a chance to hear Benny's movie pick. So <laughs> I'd like to start by asking Benny, uh, what are your top four like spooky season fall movies? I don't know if I have like a top four, but I would say that one of my absolute favorite movies, no matter what time of year it is, is Murder Party which is a Halloween movie. You know, the whole story takes place during Halloween, but it's a horror comedy from, I think, like 2006. And it really shows. And it's also an indie film, but it is so well done. The dialogue is just so 2000s and also just delicious. It's great. And if you're, uh, if you're kind of an artistic type and you know a lot of other artistic types, maybe some who are less favorable than others, personality-wise, you might get a kick out of the uh, characters in Murder Party. A lot of it is very much a critique of those <laughs> artist types that are not very favorable. I don't want to give too much away. I know you said you're not much of a big, spooky, like, horror movie fan. What is the scariest movie you can put up with? I just went out and watched uh, the new Saw movie recently. Oh, that is too scary for me. Yeah, well, what's funny is that my fiancé Lauren wanted to go see it, but she faints at the sight of blood and gore. And so she was getting like, really, really ill oh, <laughs> during no. the Saw movie because, I mean, even I, I like I'm not very squeamish like that. But even during that film, I was getting squeamish like it. Oh, it was a lot. 
honestly, like the story was oddly wholesome. And I really? guess that's apparently a thing in some of these Psalm movies is is that like there's some. Like, How do you have a wholesome storyline with so much gore? You know, I don't want to give too much away, but like the uh, two mainstay characters from the series, you know, you got uh, the jigsaw killer, John Kramer, and then his protege, Amanda. The relationship these two have is put on more display in the film. Their relationship is actually heartwarming. Like, they genuinely care about each other. They don't care enough about these other people, apparently, to not kill them, but... Interesting. Okay. So that's kind of your scary, like, limit. That's the scariest movie that you would watch. Yeah, I'm trying to think of other ones that, like... It's hard for me to get into scary movies where it's, like, it feels like it's just for shock value. They're not really doing much for the story. They're just trying to, like, make you queasy. I don't like those because mm-hmm. I'll stick with the story, like with the Saw movies. Yeah, if it's uh, a good story. Just because there's an intriguing story going on. I mean, they did some really interesting things in the in this new Saw movie. I don't want to give too much, and I'm getting squeamish even thinking about it, but it was so creative how they used certain specific body parts to do certain things to try to survive. Like, that was so cool. If you know the cart scene in the, the Saw movie... And listeners, like, I was impressed by that. I was like, damn, that's pretty clever. But yeah, when it when it doesn't have that story backing it up and it's just, you know, yeah. gore, 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 violence, 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 it's hard for me to, like, take it. I, I feel that. I need a good story. So I'm just going through Cameron's list. And I think one movie that definitely has the story element to it that I love, and again, I'm not a fork, is that it. I've seen, like, the newest one, I think. Where they're yeah. adults. Oh, but you didn't see the first one? No, no. I saw the newest one just because I was in New York and I wanted to go to the uh, Hawk Cinema. Or Night Hawk Cinema. If you go to New York, go to the Night Hawk Cinema. It is so cool. They have, like, they serve you dinner and they they make their menus based off of the movies. So you can go to the movie oh. and then order their meal that they've created and cook in-house. That is so cool. For that movie that's themed that. for that. Yeah, it's so cool. So the only showing that was at the time when I arrived was the new It movie. So I was like, I really just want to go into the cinema. So I'm going to watch watch this. Yeah, yeah. I I think it's good. If you had the context of the first one, the the second one made me cry. It's it's very gay, too. I love it. Let's see. What else? I think anything that Jordan Peele has done has really great storytelling. Have you seen, like, Get Out or Us? Those are two of Cameron's picks. Not yet, but I'm going to watch them this Halloween season, so. Nice. Yeah, I haven't seen either of those either, but I did watch the Alien one that he had that came out this year. Oh, you mean Nope? Yeah, Nope. Yeah, I need to see that one, too. too. I keep yeah. missing all those good ones. I love Nope. Nope was good. And it wasn't gory. It mm. wasn't really that scary. It was a little, It was just, like, suspenseful, I would say. Yeah. I, I heard that it's kind of like a psychological... You know, and I love that kind of shit. I love that kind yeah. of like psychological horror uh, with the suspense and everything like that. Have you ever seen Hereditary? I was just about to bring up Hereditary. Yeah. I like it because it's like cinematic. I love any movie that feels like you're reading a good book. Chef's Kiss. First off, kudos to the soundtrack. The soundtrack for Hereditary is incredible. The way that they put all the different sounds and the music and how the music evolved throughout the movie was just so perfect and just goosebumpy and like I don't know just electrifying like I've yet to see another horror movie that has done their soundtrack and their sound design so well so like earwormy where you you're just stuck thinking about it cuz a lot of the sounds have so much meaning like the bells and the, I don't want to oh. say too much without giving anything away if you haven't seen it but it's such a good movie the first time I watched it I actually didn't like it Really? It's really grown on me and I've grown to like it because when you watch it more times, you realize there's more and more small details that you missed the first time. And you realize there's a lot more going on in that movie than you, what you see in the first watch. And so when you understand that and you watch it a few times, you're like, oh, shit, like that's actually clever. I love that. And I such good writing. A well-written horror movie, I think, is better than like 10 mediocre rom-coms and i am if you know me much more into rom-coms than yeah these the the genre itself just is like so ripe 
for metaphors for making statements about society and identity. Yes. I mean, just look at Alien and like how you could use that for a conversation about abortion or different things like that. Like they have said that like part of the horror with that, the body horror with that was like the thought of like, what if men could get pregnant and it would burst through their chests? You know, that's horrifying. Yeah. Before we wrap up our conversation about Halloween spooky movies, I want to tell you my go-to favorite movie. It's not a new, it's a limited series to watch during Halloween time. I did not put on the list because I was not thinking, so I was trying just to think movies. Have you seen Over the Garden Wall? No, I haven't. Oh, okay. So this... Oh, wait, the cartoon series, you mean? It is a cartoon. Yeah. I've seen bits and pieces, but I haven't seen the whole thing. It is so cute. It is the perfect cozy watch at Halloween time. The whole thing might be three hours total. Like, if you were to binge the entire series, you could totally watch it in a day. I like to spread it up, though, over the month of October and watch it. I rewatch it every year. And it is one of those things where every time you rewatch, you you pick up little things. It's got so many small details. It's so smartly written, even though it's kind of, like, for kids. It's not too scary, but it is, like, a little scary. Recommend Over the Garden Wall if you're looking for something fun and spooky to watch. And also just super cute and like cottagecore and they're singing frogs. (laughs) Speaking of children's Halloween movies, did you ever like spend your like Halloween time watching Cartoon Network and watching The Fairy Witch Mother or what was that 3D animated show? I didn't really watch a lot of Cartoon Network as a kid. Oh, I was addicted. I was addicted. I was glued to that shit. So if anybody else knows what I'm talking about, the best character is the skeleton guy. I did watch the Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer, but it's too early to talk about it. How do you feel about queerness in, in horror cinema? Because I know that Ian's, Ian, our writer, has been talking about that. Yeah, so we actually have a really good interview with Ian um, about this very topic. But I do, I have so many opinions, and I shared a little bit with Ian about my thoughts on the Scream franchise and how they've kind of adapted to more diverse casting and it's led to uh, like a different understanding of queerness but still the same kind of like exploitation of it. One thing I didn't get to talk with Ian about that I'd love to tell you. A couple of years ago for the SGN read Carmela and wrote a review of it which is um, kind of like this preludes Dracula. It's one of the oldest. Oh the lesbian Dracula. Yes. I've heard about it. So I think there is something so fascinating in the intersections between queerness and monstrosity that, you know, a lot of these classic Halloween characters are queer coded. Mello is a great example of it because she is this like sexual predator kind of. She's young, she's beautiful, she's feminine. But then like her whole thing is that she's turning this other girl into a vampire, which can really be read as like the belief that like lesbians can turn girls into lesbian (laughs) fear and i think that that when you look at what it is that makes us afraid of a lot of these creatures like you when you break down the really human component of our fear it's the same things that make people afraid of queerness you know historically it's this fear that the monster will turn you into a monster as well ian talks a lot about in his latest article frankenstein frankenstein is maybe a bit of body horror but how that like really dives into the analysis of the queer body, feeling at home in your body, being rejected by society and parental figures because of the body. Uh, there's just so much depth to be read in yes. horror. I love it. But, you know, there's witches, which is the idea that independent women, like yeah. scary and also fun witch facts. That I learned on TikTok. Shout out to everybody who loves that I get all my facts from TikTok. The reason witches ride broomsticks is because women in the 1600s, you know what I'm going to say? Yes. They used broomsticks as like vibrators. Like they used, they rode broomsticks basically. And so I think that is hilarious that in this day, we still have witches riding broomsticks. I recently read the original, you know, Frankenstein. Oh, by Mary Shelley. Yes. And... Oh my god, it was incredible. And I could I could get a lot of those feelings where it's like I know that maybe she never intended, but she was an acquaintance with what's his name? He was like an incredibly bisexual man back mm-hmm. in the day, Lord Byron. And I believe she was like interacting with him during the course of writing Frankenstein. And I'm not exactly sure what exactly their relationship with, maybe it was competitive or not whatnot, but like she absolutely knew about 
queer stuff going on because everybody yeah. knew what Lord Byron was up to. <laughs> it was not a secret. And also her mother was one of the first suffragists of England, Mary Wollstonecraft, who died in childbirth, giving birth to Mary Shelley, like from a very, I don't know, liberating line of thinking. Maybe there's also a reflection there in like survivor's guilt or something when you know that your mom is at the helm of this movement. And then, yeah, yeah. That's kind of difficult. And poor Mary. She handled yeah. it like a champ, though. She uh, did. Wrote, like, one of the greatest works of literature ever. And Well, in my reading of it, I very much felt like Dr. Frankenstein and his monster were both kind of gay in a way. I mean, we had Frankenstein who had this intense longing for acceptance and companionship. And it didn't really matter if it was romantic or otherwise. Like, he just wanted somebody to be there for him. And then he's been rejected by his own creator, like, quote unquote, father, because he does not fit the norm of society. And then you also have Victor Frankenstein, who is this person who is hiding parts of himself, parts of his, like, grief to the degree that he's, like, driving himself insane because he's not willing to just come out with it and let people know what's going on inside. And he's putting all this pressure on himself. It feels, like, very common with the, the queer experience, you know, of hiding these things from your family if you don't have one that's accepting or that you feel like they won't be accepting or you don't want to accept yourself. And in a way, when, you know, Dr. Frankenstein rejects Frankenstein, he's rejecting himself. Thank you for coming to our TED Talk about queer horror. I was just very passionate about Frankenstein because... If I encountered Frankenstein's monster, I would be capable of comprehending his physical form and accepting him for who he is and giving him the friendship that he desperately needs. That is very sweet. All right. Do we want to get on to the interview? Yes, we have a great interview. So please stick around. The Halloween fun continues throughout this episode, especially towards the back end, because we are going to have a special guest, Cameron, on to talk about more Halloween Reddit which is probably the scariest thing you could imagine. So please stick around. We will be back soon. But first, here are some ads. Intamin Theater presents Black Nativity. Langston Hughes' gospel song play returns in an all-new production. Celebrate the season at this holiday spectacular featuring a citywide gospel choir and a rousing audience sing-along, perfect for families of all backgrounds and beliefs. Showing December 12th through the 30th. Tickets at Intamin.org. That's I-N-T-I-M-A-N.org. Pride Place is now leasing. Pride Place is Seattle's first affordable senior housing designed to be affirming to LGBTQIA plus seniors. Located in the heart of Capitol Hill, just two blocks from the light rail station, Pride Place offers brand new studios renting for a little over $1,100 a month and one-bedroom apartment homes for under $1,500. These below-market rents are available for income-qualified applicants ages 55 and up. Learn more at prideplaceseattle.org. That's prideplaceseattle.org. Pride Place is an equal housing opportunity that screens applicants in accordance with City of Seattle regulations. What can owning a business mean? Choosing your own schedule, creating a work-life balance, making enough money to live on, providing a service or product which can enrich lives. Back to Basic Business Ventures' plain and simple guide will show you step-by-step -step how to turn your passion into a small business reality. Also in this guide are 20 business ventures and how to start each one. For your Back to Basic Business Ventures guide, go to amazon.com books now. Thank you so much, listeners, for sticking around. It is everybody's favorite part of the podcast, interview time. Joining me today is SGN contributor and stand-up comedian Ian Crowley, who you may recognize from our Halloween horror movie kind of reviews that are going on right now. Ian, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, Lindsay. How are you? I'm doing good, too. Just chilling on a Monday afternoon. Yeah. I'm so, sorry, were you going to respond to that? No, no, I just said absolutely. I'm feeling you know, um, I had a skirmish with my landlord, my previous landlord, but it, it all is going good. It looks like I'm going to get some money back. So that is amazing. I love that. And for anybody else listening, if you have a landlord, eat them. A little salt, pepper. Yeah. 
I would love to see that as like 2024's queer horror movie. Unfortunately, I don't think anybody's made a movie yet where people like cannibalize their landlords, but I would stand it. I think it would be super camp, right? Yeah, you could make it super camp and there's clearly a need for that in the market. So maybe you should make it. I will. I just need, um, if you're listening, investors, please send me a couple mil. And this is my formal pitch for Eat Your Landlord, the movie. Speaking of horror movies, uh, I just want to dive right into the article that you contributed to the STN this last, I want to say last week, but now we're bi-weekly. So this last two weeks, you're doing this series where you're examining queerness in the horror genre, which I've been so excited for since you pitched it like forever ago because we're all gay and gay people think about Halloween like you wrote in your article starting like August 1st, which is such a mood. But I want to know, so some of these films you really analyzed this week were Frankenstein, The Old Dark House, The Invisible Man, and Bride of Frankenstein, which all come from James Whale. Could you tell our listeners a little bit about who James Whale was? I was going to say is, but he's long dead. Yeah, unfortunately, he's he's been dead for a while. But you know, it's weird when you like see old, old, old people like you're like, wow, I would have thought they died in like 1950, but they died in like 2005. It's a trip. But anyway, James Whale was a openly gay director in the golden age of Hollywood, which was basically like, you know, unheard of, not very common. Cinema was like in its early primordial stages. There was an opportunity for marginalized people to be able to have some like notoriety in the art form. James Whale was kind of one of these more notable examples of someone who had a huge impact on the industry, like financially, like he saved Universal Pictures with his Frankenstein movie. Um, and it basically like ushered in a whole new genre and era of horror cinema and, you know, cinema in general. And basically the article just talks a lot about like, because there's not, a, there's no interviews with James Whale where he's talking about like, how gay he was or whatever. <laughs> so it's like mostly just people knowing he was gay, like personal like testimonials and also just re-examining the art through that lens. And people find a lot of, you know, queer archetypes or just kind of like queer narratives in his work. Yeah, I love that. And kind of that queer archetype is really, you mentioned seen in all adaptations of Frankenstein. And okay, so I just have a quick question that's maybe a, a bit random, a bit tangenty. Uh, but okay, you are a film buff, like just in general. Has Frankenstein been done since James Whale did it, like back in ye olden times? Did you say, do I enjoy film from the olden times? Oh, sorry. I said, has Frankenstein been done since then? Have there been other like modern successful adaptations or is James Whale's like the most well-known Frankenstein? I think that... The most well-received reinterpretation, because like, no, I would say most, I think there's like spins on the Frankenstein story that have gone well, but like, like Young Frankenstein by Mel Brooks is like a parody movie, but that movie kind of like takes James Whale's movies as inspiration for parody. And then, you know, the lesser extent would be something like, you know, like a lot of cartoons use Frankenstein, like Scooby-Doo or... Hotel Transylvania. I think there was one called Frankenstein Reborn or something. It was like trying to make like Frankenstein hot. It was from like 2014. Maybe I'll examine that in the narrative. That would be so interesting because I just want to know more about this like queer angle to look at Frankenstein with. I know a little bit about Mary Shelley because I, women and gender studies, she was great. Mary Wollstonecraft was her mother. But what do you mean when you mention in your article that uh, Frankenstein's monster connects to the queer body, which is alienated and demonized? So, yeah, beyond my own experience, I there is some queer people who feel and some like it's I'm essentially highlighting that it's not every queer person feels this way, but just that some feel heteronormativity and like how in straight society we all are supposed to like behave with our bodies and like demonizing the sexuality or like you know use of one's body or in the experience of trans individuals who happen to go through any sort of transitioning you know the demonizing of queer bodies in general and horror often is very visceral 
and body focused mm. and there's transformation. Frankenstein also kind of in a lot of ways pioneered cinematically that like you're supposed to be scared by the monster, but you also are very sympathetic of the monster. And it's clearly being told, at least in some ways, from the monster's perspective. And with Frankenstein, it's like he's been like created and then renounced by his creator, which can obviously speak to people who are queer and their relationship to religion. And like, you made me, but then, you know, all of these like deeper themes that kind of James Will never spoke on this specifically as a queer person, but you kind of like it is evocative. Also, just being rejected by your parent, you know, in general is a very queer narrative. Like, even if you aren't queer by your sexuality, like that's a queer narrative in that it's highlighting like the difference from the norm. Yeah, that is such a cool like lens to look at um, a movie like Frankenstein with. And this is going to get really intellectually nerdy because I love literature analysis and movies are a, a branch of literature. But I just wanted to go to some of the movies that you might be discussing in next week's article. Are there other like classic horror tropes, characters or monsters that you think like really resonate with the queer experience? So yeah, in my research for this next article, like I said, I was originally when we were weekly, I was kind of thinking of doing like a once a week. The next article will come out in October and then I'll probably do like a wrap up article in November. So it'll be three articles. And so I was originally going to maybe do like a 60s, 70s era one and then moved on to like 80s and 90s. But I think I'm just instead going to make a whole one about the 80s and then kind of just move on to the modern era. And I'm looking at for this week, Nightmare on Elm Street, Hellraiser, Lost Boys, I believe, and Sleepaway Camp. So all of those kind of deal with like queerness in different ways. So you have like Sleepaway Camp, for instance, deals with queerness in very explicit ways. It's also very problematic. It's interesting how a lot of the, especially through the 80s, a lot of the instances of queer representation were like dealt in the same breath with like queer exploitation or, you know, demonization. So it's kind of, there's that one where, not to spoil Sleepaway Camp, which is 50 years old at this point, but at the end of Sleepaway Camp, it's essentially revealed like as like a dramatic twist that one of the young girls is like really a trans girl. So like justifies horrific things through the movie but then there's also like complex gay relationship written in it and it's for this one i'm more interested in how those two things representation and this like exploitation or like representation at what cost that'll kind of be the backdrop to discuss all of these like spooky movies yeah and like for the lost boys for instance since very homoerotic and it was made by Joel Schumacher who's openly gay so it kind of you know again discussing the legacy of gay directors getting to achieve their vision through their perspective and how horror would impact that. I think it's so interesting that you're looking at the 80s as kind of its own section because like taking the context of what was going on in the U.S. that we were in such a conservative mindset as a country um, I feel like that really plays a role on how um, identities are perceived in cinema, like you were saying, with like exploiting and kind of demonizing queer and trans people. Whereas Frankenstein, almost the 30s Frankenstein, paints like a sympathetic lens towards the queer monster. That's really very true. And it's, yeah, the different eras of acceptance versus like ignorance or like not something that people are being confronted with so like with frankenstein it was so early on that most of those queer subtexts like it's never being dealt directly to the audience and then like through the 80s you're right like literally the aids crisis is happening it's like the most devastating thing to happen to queer people ever and it is violent and Horror movies at that time, especially campy horror movies, were so hyper-violent. And like, there's obviously more context to why violence in movies has changed over the years and everything. But it's through that queer line, very specifically, like, there's a lot to be said about like 
people were not acknowledging queer existence. So there's queer people in the movies, like direct queer acknowledgement. But then this AIDS thing's happening and there's this horrible, we're in a horrible place as a country. So there's also this, yeah, yeah, offside to it. But yeah. Well, before we wrap up too, I do want to discuss modern horror because I know that's going to be kind of the last chapter in this series that uh, listeners, you can look forward to getting throughout through, I guess, the first week of November. So stay tuned for those. But I have so many opinions on modern horror as a self-described scaredy pants that cannot handle blood. I, uh, fun, fun fact, did pass out when I got a bloody nose in high school and I've never had a bloody nose since then because I'm terrified of blood. I've just willed it. I've willed that I won't get bloody noses. But uh, one of the more bloody movies of our modern era is Scream. And Scream's definitely having a revival with, was it Scream 6 that came out last year with Jenna Ortega? Yeah. And I thought that was so interesting, having only seen the first Scream movie and now the last Scream movie, um, to see how diversity has really played a role in the evolution of cinema in general. But with this final scrape, not the final, obviously, but, you know, this latest scream movie, the bulk of the cast were BIPOC people. Um, there was only one white man and spoiler alert, he is not good. And I think it's interesting to see kind of playing off of that trope of uh, and the blackening really plays on this, too, that like the person of color is usually the first to die. When you have a cast of all people of color, it goes into the queer person of color and um, noticing that. The one queer character in this franchise seemed to just have like the shittiest time in the movie. Like her girlfriend is killed right in front of her. That's like the only main person to die is the queer person of color. And then her she's like cut up and doesn't get to go to the the final, you know, the finale where all the action is. And she the character even mentions it at the end where she's like, oh, man, I missed it. And I wonder if there's like a sense of um, intentionality, do you think, behind that? I am also so early in the stages with this next article that I am like really just trying to find what I would be willing mm. wanting to talk about and that is such an interesting angle because you have the increased acceptance where of course like now they aren't gonna have like they'll probably include the queer person in more of a role than obviously 20 years ago but we are still subjected to the queer trauma of it all like you're yeah. gonna see this girlfriend die and notably the recent remake oh yeah and it's like just that fetishization of like queer trauma even if they are going to kind of like more it's like inclusivity but the humanity is not necessarily there so that's definitely very interesting wow that is such a great quote it's the inclusivity but their humanity is still not there dang ian you're a poet i wasn't even thinking about it either and that movie wrecked me i I cried. I don't cry at movies. I cried watching it. And then yeah. I was like on fanfic TikTok, like looking for like a happy ending for Richie and what's the other kid's name? The the two gay kids. It was so yeah. fucking sad. Oh, man. Did you get a chance to watch uh, the Fear Street trilogy when that came out? Was it last year or the year before? No, but I had both of my like my partner's sibling who's queer and into horror movies and also my queer sibling who's into horror movies both were like romantic it a lot so i feel like i should watch them yeah absolutely i i liked queer street or queer street fear street might as well call it queer street it was very gay i feel like it was very much written not to um have the gay best friend trope but it was written with the, the queer character is the lead the main perspective is theirs there's still trauma because it's a horror movie I guess, okay, one last modern horror opinion I would love is um, have you watched The Haunting series, specifically The Haunting of Bly Manor? So I watched The Haunting of Hill House when it came mm. out, and I was very into that, but I've okay. seen Bly Manor. Do you recommend? Oh, I highly recommend Bly Manor. It's also made me feel a lot of things, but I think overall it's very well done in that it doesn't entirely exploit queer trauma, but it is very queer. Yeah, it's great. It's it's a masterpiece. It's not a movie. It's a limited series, miniseries, what have you. Oh, yeah. But yeah, it's it's super easy to binge. I think I'll probably watch that and watch Fear Street because, yeah, I'll probably be covering like late 2010s, 2020s era at this point. Yeah, if you have any other suggestions of like modern horror movies that either like include queer characters or deal with queerness for sure. Yeah. Know. 
Well, I'm just I'm looking because we just had our SGN Halloween movie highlight. So check that out on Instagram if you haven't. There are so many great gay coded movies. Um, another great one that I watched for the first time recently is The Craft. Have you had a chance to? I love that movie. So the Craft. Good. Oh my god, I have so many opinions on it that I shouldn't have. Check it out on my whatever letterbox. Actually, I don't even think I voiced opinions in my letterbox. I was just like, it was so sexy or something. I don't know. I shit post on letterbox, but uh, that's great. Definitely queer coded. I would, I would say. But also the main chick, like, why was she so terrifying? Did this demonize the goth community? Jennifer's body. Do you have thoughts on that one? God, I again just really <laughs> enjoyed that movie. It was a movie that I saw a lot as a kid because my sisters would watch it. But when I watched it as an adult, I really understood the writing and like the it's a very sharp movie, in my opinion. Okay, and then one final one is uh, what are your opinions on It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown? Because that was my number one Halloween movie pick for this recommendation. I was gonna say I want to be honest, honestly with you. So I'm going to be perfectly honest. I have not seen that movie probably in like 15 years. But I'm going to watch it. I'm going to watch it this Halloween. I yes. I trust your opinion very much so. So I will I will watch it. Yes. Thank you so much. Uh, and special thank you again, Ian Crowley, for being here, for talking all things horror movies. If you want to know more about Ian's opinions on queerness in the horror genre, please check out his series on SGN.org. The first one is up right now. The second one will be up soon and this will continue through November. So stick around and we'll be right back with more Radio SGN. Thank you so much for sticking around to the grand finale of Radio SGN's weekly gay news podcast. With us, as usual, is SGN social media manager slash... God, I called you a meme god last week, so I got to come up with a new on-the-fly. Whore person? What? Whore person? Did you say whore or horror? I said whore. Okay. Um, what? <laughs> spooky movie person, Cameron. Don't want to get that confused. I'm still confused. It's okay. Sorry, Cameron. That's a, It's a hard word. And horror. You know what, Cameron? Me too. Either one. Whatever you want. <laughs> yeah, I'm either one. It's all right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's all up to interpretation. <laughs> if, I'm going to open a Reddit. Am I the asshole for accidentally calling my coworker a whore person? I am. I'm really sorry, Cameron. Whore person. Let the audience vote. Is this sexual harassment? Well, okay. The thunder is rolling. Uh, the vibes are awkward. And I think it's just the perfect time for some spooky am I the asshole slash other Reddit horror stories. Am I the asshole for pointing out that my coworker is trans slash doesn't pass? All right. I'm a European woman. I, I don't know why that's relevant. In her mid-20s, who recently moved to San Francisco for a fancy pants internship. It was a huge culture shock, but in a way, a welcome one. I'm gay, the very girly type. All right, femme. People don't really clock as gay, but still. And this is the first time I've ever been out at work. There is one coworker who we shall call Linda, she is a trans woman, male to female. Linda's position means that she and I don't really, this person's writing, she and I don't really interact at work often. Therefore, I was told about her before I met her. One of my coworkers told me that she existed. I was due to meet her next week and that she was a trans woman who uses she slash her pronouns. I met Linda, didn't even ask for her pronouns and just used she, her. Everything went all right. I thought that was the end of it. Now, Linda does not pass as a cis woman. She's still a woman, and I'd never misgender her, but it is objectively visible that she is probably a trans woman, not a cis one. This now caused an issue. A few of us had a Halloween get-together and invited Linda. At some point, she and I were alone at, at our table. We got talking about what it was like for me being uh, this very girly gay woman in a male-dominated field in a conservative European country. At some point, I made a remark along the lines of, but of course, you as a trans woman probably faced similar experiences. Her face just fell. She started hissing at me about how dare I presume she's trans. She hasn't been misgendered. I did not misgender her. At no point did I use he or anything like that. 
I just said she was trans, which she is. And no one at work has ever had to ask for her pronouns, etc. Drunk idiot I was. I blurted out, but we all know, which we do. Oof. I was extremely confused. Apparently, out of the younger group of coworkers, no one ever actually asked her for her pronouns or gender identity because we all, just like me, got told by some colleague who'd been there longer that she was a trans woman who uses female pronouns. This somehow led Linda to believe that we didn't clock her, which was a huge source of self-esteem for her. Linda now, and, and I say this without a hint of exaggeration, hates my guts. She confided to another coworker that she's extremely hurt by me pointing out that she doesn't pass and that it was invasive and rude and how dare I judge her. I, on the other hand, don't really know what the hell happened here, so she is trans, that is a fact of life, everyone knows, and it is clearly visible. Am I the asshole for saying what I said? Ooh, that's a Ooh. tricky one. Oh, that is hard. Oh, man. Alcohol does not mix with these combos. Yeah. No. I don't think they handled the situation very well. I think it's a good rule of thumb. You know, you should try your best to avoid speaking for someone else's experience, even yeah. if you know they have it. Like, if there's an opportunity to, for, for someone to say, as a trans woman, maybe you should wait and see if they take that opportunity before you say, well, you agree, as a trans woman. Like, that's not... Yeah. Yeah. I think, though, that there is kind of this toxic idea that there's, like, um some better intrinsic value to trans people that can pass versus mm. can't, or, like, that they're more valid in their transness. And in a way, I feel like the coworker is kind of buying into that idea. But, I mean, and, like, it's not for me to judge I'm not trans, but, you know, in thinking that, or in, like, gaining so much self-esteem from thinking that she's passing with her coworkers and then being, like, so offended when they called her trans. I don't know. But at the same time, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know nobody's the asshole here or everybody i don't think everybody i think linda's probably hurt i mean understandably so i mean there's a lot of pressure to to pass and to not be clocked and there's and safety with it too yes there's also yeah exactly that there's also safety involved and maybe linda never intended to be fully out at work and so maybe she told this one coworker this in confidence and also there's a possibility of like Assuming just by how somebody looks, I mean, there's plenty of cis women out there who you may get confused at times. You know, there are cis women out there who get harassed in women's restrooms because people assume that they're not a cis woman because they have, you know, short hair and... Happens to me all the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so it's just one of those impolite things. I don't think it really makes you so much of an asshole. I think it just means you gotta kind of do a little bit of self-introspection and maybe in the future try to like approach these kind of situations with like a neutrality. You know, if somebody hasn't outright like confided in you and told you that it's okay, maybe just, you know, don't yeah. talk about it. I think it's not your place to bring it up. I think asshole is a strong word to use here. I think a mistake was made. And while mm -hmm. it was very hurtful, I don't really see it as the biggest one that could be made. Yeah, Something should be said about this company they work for because, like, do they not have an HR program? I don't know. I, I just think that there are ways that you could discuss diversity in your workplace and so that everybody would be, like, on the same page about what is cool and what isn't cool and how people feel. Or even just introductions, introducing yourself with your pronouns, you know. And then if you're like, yeah, I'm trans and I'm really out about it and I'm cool about talking about it and, you know, that's my identity. But I think it's kind of interesting no one's ever asked for her pronouns either. Yeah, yeah. that is a little a little weird. Especially in um, SF. This was back in 2019, yeah. too. I don't know. Maybe they just all felt awkward about it, which is not the trans women's fault at all. It's no. just sometimes people get real weird. Like, some, some cis people even convince themselves that even asking for pronouns is, like, rude in some ways, you know? that it could make them feel like they're not passing because you're asking for pronouns. Yeah, I think that's just faux pas. Lots of faux pas. That's fun to say. It is. I used to... Faux pas is one of those words that I, I read before I ever heard or said it. And so I was speaking to someone who speaks French. And I don't remember what exactly happened, but I decided to say it as I read it. And I was like, oops, sorry. That's a fox paws. <laughs> you were so mad. You were canceled right there. I just, I found an Am I the Asshole that I would like to read. I'm ready. Am I the asshole for letting my girlfriend outside whole night? 
am I the asshole for, I think it's supposed to say, leaving my girlfriend outside all night? I'm 25, female, passionate about music, and since years, I'm organizing alternative rave parties. On Friday, I had one planned, which was very important for me. Due to that and some last-minute change on the event venue, I had to work a huge amount of time on it, and this made me not sleep Wednesday night and sleep only one hour on Thursday night. On the event night, I was able to sleep one hour between 7 a.m. and 8 a.m., meaning that in three nights, I only slept a total of two to three hours. I was literally exhausted. The day after the event, we came back home around 2 I went to sleep straight away. My girlfriend, 22 female, had a casting planned at 5 p.m. She woke me up two minutes before leaving, panicking, asking where the keys of the apartment were. I didn't understand the thing as I was super confused to be woken up like that, and she apparently said, go back to sleep. Also, she knows that whenever I'm tired, it's super hard to woke me up. Alarms never work, and I always don't have the memories of what happens in the first 10 minutes after being awake. I wake up later without really knowing what time it is, and I see that my girlfriend is not in bed or the apartment. I plug my phone in and see that we are one day later and that I actually just slept 20 hours. I also see a tremendous amount of calls and messages from my girlfriend who wasn't able to enter the apartment as she left the keys inside before going to her casting. She ended up sleeping at a friend's house. Am I the asshole for leaving her outside? She is mad as hell against me. Edit, we only had one set of keys at the entrance door of the building was changed two days prior, and the keys ended up being in her bag at home. Lamau. Wait, have you ever, though, slept for like 20 hours and not realized it and then like woken up just so disheveled? Yeah. yeah. It happened to me when I had covid and I was like staying in a motel because I didn't want to get my partner sick. And I didn't answer my phone for 20 hours because I was asleep. And they came panicked. They were like pounding on the door. And I woke up like in such a daze to like someone knocking on the door. <laughs> I thought you were dead. Sorry, I was asleep. I think not the asshole though. Yeah, no, very much not the asshole. But I would be very pissed much. too if I got locked out of my home for... I would understand though that the only person I should be mad at is myself mm-hmm. in that situation. I mean, that's speaking as someone who doesn't lose their keys. <laughs> what? You don't lose your keys? I. How no, much extra it, time do you have in your life? In, in my relationship, Lauren is the one who loses everything. And my nickname is the keeper of things. Like, I just have such a great memory for where things are. I, what the like, fuck? Like, it's very rare for People me have to that? lose something. Yeah, yeah, Cameron, I'm with you there. Every single day of my life, every single day, I'm not exaggerating, I lose something. Keys, phone, wallet, those are the main ones. Well, for yeah. some reason, the way my brain works, like a couple weeks ago, Lauren was looking for a hat that she lost and I remembered where it was and that it, I, I was like, oh yeah, you put it on the couch and then it fell behind the couch. <laughs> and she's like, what the hell? Like, I just, you know, I remembered where she put it randomly, even though... No, you're a psychic. I shouldn't care. And then I I deduced that it fell behind the couch. (laughs) That's some psychic behavior right there. That's crazy, Benny. I need you to come live with me now. (laughs) Yeah, I'll... I'll, Every day. I'm sensing that you lost a Tamagotchi underneath the refrigerator seven years ago. Your Tamagotchi's dead, unfortunately. (laughs) I can't save them. You have seven pairs of underwear under this couch. (laughs) (laughs) And it's all your cat's fault. But yeah, as someone who has the keeper of things superiority complex, the girlfriend who fell asleep for 20 hours is not the asshole. The asshole is the other girlfriend for losing her keys. I don't think my girlfriend would talk to me for a while if I did this. If you lost your keys and got mad or if you locked them out of the house for 20 hours? If I locked her out? Yeah. She'd go sicko mode. But like in the story, they didn't do it on purpose. They were like completely unconscious. That doesn't matter. Women are (laughs) women, Benny. (laughs) <laughs> Wait, so then what would make it different if it was a man? A man locked himself out of the house and then fallen asleep on a park bench. For- yeah, and he'd be okay. <laughs> yeah. He'd sleep on a freaking brick or whatever. Like, oh, yeah, it's yeah. so great. They're like outdoor cats. Yeah. But more dangerous for the environment. <laughs> I had a squirrel for breakfast. So, you know, total normal dude stuff. <laughs> oh, man. Sure shit. There's a good tip for you uh, straight ladies out there. <laughs> you need a break. Just set your man out there and um, <laughs> just leave him outside of it. And just hope and pray for the local wild wildlife. You come back, there's a whole ass log cabin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He somehow lit a fire with like two of those like flimsy cardboard straws that they give out now. Who are these men? Bear Grylls? It's like in the Barbie movie where it's just like <laughs> none of the men have any of the houses. They're just like, oh yeah, where do you live? 
Beach. Nowhere. <laughs> the beach. <laughs> my job is beach. Oh my god, wait. Sorry. Speaking of the Barbie movie, did anybody see the Pete Davidson parody of I'm Just Ken this weekend? No. No. Is it good? Oh yeah, it's so good. You gotta check it out. It's He's very self-aware. Talking about how anywhere else he would be a three, but because he's a comedian, he somehow pulls like all these hot ladies. Good for Pete. Um, is that a little bit of jealousy I detect? <laughs> no, I'm not jealous of Pete Davidson. Well, maybe a little because he started on SNL when he was like 18, which crazy. He's got hella connections. Also, he's well, been it's... with Kim K and Ariana Grande. Yeah. And now is he with Ice Spice? Perhaps. I don't know. Damn, he's do- he's running the whole gambit. Jesus. He is. I've been boycotting SNL, so I haven't been watching mm. lately. That's fair. There's always something with them, you know? <laughs> I really got my goat last year, so... So do we want to read another one, or... Yeah, Cameron, do you have one? I'm going to read Christmas Shit Shouldn't Be Out and About in October, because this is how I feel... And I'd like to say it. Christmas shit shouldn't be out and about in October. Spain doesn't really give a shit about Halloween. So, a few candles aside, the main thing is Christmas. Meaning they plot the new pastries, chocolate cakes, and Santa hats as soon as possible. This also means I have to remember that I'm spending Christmas alone over two fucking months in advance. My mother died of cancer and my sister took her life after postpartum depression. Okay, maybe I don't relate to this. Everybody goes home and I stay inside my uni campus in solitude, pretending to be okay. Everybody else floods their socials and my takes with family reunions. December is a nightmare. Why make me suffer starting from October? All I wanted was some goddamn rubbing alcohol for my cut, and then BAM! The holiday spirit had vomited all over the place. Gosh. Hoping someone else out there feels this way. I do, but to a lesser degree. Yeah. So I agree. Don't put out Christmas decorations in october unless you have decoration uh, christmas decorations out all year you still have christmas like, decorations out all year that's no don't do that <laughs> yeah that's <laughs> trashy. no i'm just don't saying that, that that's the only i know but it's the only valid excuse for for those of us who would have difficulty benny take them that. down <laughs> i have christmas lights out get your shit together <laughs> take those down <laughs> no benny that's some redneck shit right now that's redneck <laughs> They're pretty. They're not like multicolored. They're just like the white Christmas lights. Ooh. Listen, my porch, my porch light is broken. I gotta have something. You don't light them, do you? That makes it so much worse if you're lighting them. I don't light them. They the wind took them down a while ago. But yeah. <laughs> they were up for a while. I get distracted by so many things. And so like working on the outside of the house is like always like the last thing I do before anything else. And so it ends up getting on the back burner. But yeah, don't put out Christmas decorations. But also this person, get some help. Find some friends. This kind of uh, like projecting is not healthy. Christmas is kind of hard, though, you know, for some people. Oh, it is. It definitely is. Yeah. I agree with that. But like kind of like getting kind of, you know, you're you're putting your energies towards the wrong direction, you know, put that same energy where you're upset at this neighbor and and put that towards finding like well, a support group. It seems like they're not upset with a neighbor. They're upset at capitalism, which are we mm. all? Yeah. I guess, yeah. Yeah, that's true. So, that is true. I mean, it pisses me off because, like, I go to Costco to get, like, my meds or whatever, and then all of a sudden it's Christmas time already, and I'm like, can't we just slow down? Yeah. What's crazy is is that we've commodified the, the least capitalistic holiday. Like, it's all about, like, giving, giving gifts to everybody, being generous, its mascot wears all red and has a big bushy beard, much like a certain philosopher. Another thing, Santa Claus was actually <laughs> created by Coca-Cola. Oh, really? Damn. That image, oh, then it is more capitalist. The image we know of the fat man in the red suit was created by Coca-Cola, and now Coca-Cola's infested our brains and our lives. Oh, geez. Those polar bears. We need the, the communists to take Santa. Okay, well, I think it's just about time for us to wrap up. Cameron, thank you so much for bringing your gifts from Reddit. You're like a, a word wise person, you know. I'm still got Christmas on the brain. I do too. I'm yeah, kind of stuck. <laughs> you see, that girl, that person from Spain was onto something. Now y'all are infected. Yeah. So maybe their energy is in the right place, Benny. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe they're fighting a, the good cause because, like, I've got 
like Christmas brain worms now. I can't stop thinking about like Coca-Cola's conspiracy to use Santa Claus to like make our lives worse. All the pressure around Christmas too to like spend money on. Yes. I'm like dreading Christmas this year, but that's cool. (laughs) Coca-Cola seriously has a stronghold on the color red. I swear to God. I think they've trademarked like a hue. I hope not. I hate it when companies start trying to do that shit. Do you see the Pride merch? No, <laughs> they have Pride merch. Yeah, I put it on oh, my no. what not to buy. So I guess let's hope Christmas comes way later. It's still Halloween time. Yeah, let's focus on Halloween. Yes, Halloween. <laughs> Spooky season. Christmas is not allowed until December. Yeah, get yourself a pumpkin, you know, carve it out. And I don't know. I saw a video recently where somebody put their small dog inside of a pumpkin. I guess do that. I love it. If you still have your Christmas lights up, you are canceled. You're canceled. (laughs) Get your shit together. We're canceling you right now. I thought it was aesthetic. And uh, I guess to all of our listeners out there who don't have Christmas lights up, we appreciate you so much. Thank you for tuning in. Kiss your dogs for us. Bye. Adios. Radio SGN is hosted by Benny Loy and Lindsay Anderson and edited by Daniel Lindsley. The music for the show is provided by TRG Banks and Jesse Spillane, or was provided for free by Anchor. Thank you so much for listening. Check us out on sgn.org. This podcast is part of the Seattle Gay News Podcasting Network.